Okay, so people have been waiting eagerly for us to talk about High Score Girl, the Netflix animated anime about video games and the love of games and sharing games and games. But before we do any of that, I have to ask Conrad, what did you think of Puppet Master the Littlest Reich? So, first of all, I had been meaning to watch it because I am a devoted fan of Thomas Lennon. We talked about it on this very show when we talked about that horrible full moon arcade. Yes. Uh, and We mentioned we hadn't watched it yet. And we both watched it pretty much the same night because I watched it and then immediately messaged you yes. and said, you need to watch this now. And by the way, that was a recommendation just for Conrad. I could not in good faith tell most people they need or should watch this. It is, uh, uh, yes, because it is It is not, it is in, it feels like a Full Moon produced Puppet Master, despite it not being a Full Moon produced Puppet Master. I mean, f- Full Moon leaning toward trauma. Yes. It is, uh... There's this wonderful one after another, just no connection whatsoever sequence of kills. <laughs> like with no story between them, no nothing. No, just one after another, and they get increasingly more ridiculous. The drone kill, a literal drone. I described this on Podquisition as well. Okay. Oh. Because because it's Martin and therefore we need Martin puppets. There's a literal drone strike, and it's it's it is beautiful if you have an appreciation for terrible ideas, over the top slapstick splatter gore. Yes, if if you're in that realm, then yes. Yeah, but ultimately it is a film about miniature hate crimes. Yeah. It is. And the audacity is... The audacity of it, especially at the moment. Like, this is... It's either the best or the worst time for that movie to have happened. Oh, yeah. It's one of the two, and I'm not... I don't know which one it is. Because it is about small Nazi... Like, in the original Puppet Master films, Andre Toulon was a survivor of the Nazis. Right. They decided to put a, a twist on that and make him a Nazi. That's worrying. They made him a French Nazi turncoat. Yeah, who used puppets to, well, as one line in the, in, in the film said, a puppet could find Anne Frank easily. <laughs> that's, a, that's an actual argument made in the film. Puppets would have got her. It's, um, I mean, it's called The Littlest Reich. In order to not be upset by the film, you have to go in knowing that a film called The Littlest Reich is exactly the kind of film a film called The Littlest Reich would be. Right, yeah. It is not, there's no irony there. Uh, it, it is telling you what it is. You cannot accuse the film of false advertising. Yeah. All I knew was that there was like, some comic book geeky nods in it. That's uh-huh. like the, the main character r- runs a comic book shop and that there was some sort of convention or something. Right. Turns out they're in a hotel because they're auctioning off Toulon's puppets and the puppets come alive and start committing hate crimes. 
Um, they no, they genuinely do. Yeah, listener, they genuinely do. And and it's and, and they're not the thing. It, the what's fascinating is the diversity of the hate crimes they perform. It's the only diversity those puppets are interested in. <laughs> those little racist puppets. Racist, uh, uh, homophobic puppets. Um, oh yeah, all of the, all of it. Yeah, really. They're Nazis. Mm-hmm. They're little Nazi puppets. It's unbelievable. And it's it, like, it really kind of fucks with you on some level if you've been a fan of Puppet Master up to this point, because they have at various points in the series made an effort to make the puppets very sympathetic. Yeah, I mean that was the other big shocker was that. The puppets have done terrible things, but they do have their own sense of right and wrong. And there's always this element of they all really love each other. And there's almost this charm to them. That may still be true, that they have like a, a clearly defined moral code that they follow and like each other. But they're Nazis. Oh, yeah, these... These puppets have principles. They're just Nazi principles because they're Nazis. It's it's so weird. Like I'm, all, I, I I've seen many reboots and reimaginings twist things on their head, but to go from to to go from Nazi oppressed Andre Toulon to all of these puppets are in not just Nazi puppets. They were used. By the Nazis. They are puppets that are in the Reich. Think about that. They are puppets that are in the actual Reich. It It boggles the mind. There's a reason why I talked about this on Podquisition and also this. (laughs) I mean, part of the reason is I had to talk to you about it. Sure. The other reason is I can't stop thinking about it. And and none of what I'm saying is an endorsement of this film. It's a bad film. And and yet. And yet. I would watch a sequel. And they teased one because of how unsatisfying that ending is and how weird it is. And then it splashes up to be continued. And I will watch it. If another one comes out, I will. I kind of like the way it ends. <laughs> I mean, it's definitely rushed. There's no, like, it's, the the last 10-minute resolution of it is just like, okay, all done. But I'm in. What was that last fight with, with the Toulon thing? What was that last bit? My favorite part of that is when they pull the truck back from having hit the building, and it's the grill is pristine. The front of the truck is just in perfect condition. That was a rental. <laughs> that was a rental. They weren't to fuck with it. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, it was um, mm. impossible to recommend. But One of the puppets is called the Junior Fuhrer. Oh, God, yes. Junior Fuhrer. And the, oh, the, the, the one-liner. Yeah. When the character named Moskowitz throws him into the oven, that's what we're dealing with here. There's no subtlety. That's the level. One woman is being attacked by the puppets and they decide to hide and not help her. But then it turns out that the woman is Jewish um, and 
one of the main characters who is also Jewish decides to go help her. And a character asks, why have you changed your mind? And he said, I have about six million reasons why. And when it's not like making le- making explicitly like <laughs> Holocaust jokes, there actually is some there's some pretty good humor in it and some understated dry delivery that Thomas Lennon's like really good at and you you almost feel like he contributed a little bit to soften some of the edges on this. Yeah. Well, I mean you say jokes. I almost feel like it would have been Less tasteless if the six million lines, uh, six million reasons line wasn't intended for comedy, but it was supposed to be the emotional linchpin of the film. Yeah. Yeah, if it had been delivered that way, if they'd had a little swelling music behind it. It was the most awkward scene I've ever witnessed (laughs) in a long time. I had to add the long time because there's always worse. There's always worse everywhere. But I haven't cringed that hard. (laughs) <laughs> what what a disaster. But one that I will probably watch again. Oh, I'm definitely going to watch it again, yeah. Yeah. It's one of those films I think I'm going to have to... I'm going to get more entertainment value out of watching other people watch it. Yes. Yeah, there are... Uh, that It definitely would make my list uh, for that, along with uh, Happiness. That's a great movie to witness other people watching. You want to talk about an uncomfortable movie. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. But wait, but, th- but that's that anyway. That's that, yeah. <laughs> my jaw, the moment, from the drone kill onwards, my jaw hung open and didn't close again. Oh, yeah. The moment that happens, the rest of the film is, like, all the bets are off. I got to say, they're, they're uh, Cuddly Bear, definitely a high point for me. I liked him a lot. Oh, biscuits. <laughs> yes. Ah. <laughs> uh, uh, but High Score Girl, that's the other thing we watched. High Score Girl. High Score Girl. So, this is the first time we've done a series. Well. Um, instead of a film. I mean, we did well, Castlevania. Well, we did Castlevania. The first time we've done a, a full-run television series. Yeah. As opposed to a special, um, and we mostly do films. Um, I don't know exactly what the format of this will take. Normally we do the entire plot synopsis. I ain't sitting around for an entire plot synopsis of a long-running TV show. Um, and nor should you, dear listener. No, no, nor should anyone. Um, and, and if you can't tell already, I haven't got the voice to do a two and a half hour podcast. Um, I shouldn't be doing this, but we're like, what, a month late getting this out. Um, It's been long enough that people already started asking, is the spin-off Doctors over? (laughs) Um, No, it's just fucking listen to me. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, High School Girl is an anime series, a Netflix original. Um, One of the big selling points of it is that it uses gameplay footage to represent actual gameplay footage in-universe. So there are these arcade machines, um, people playing Street Fighter on it, and on the screen of the arcade machine, it's actual Street Fighter footage. Uh, There is a lot, almost a Wreck-It Ralph level of video game crossover here. Um, 
the amount of games that get referenced and the depth of the reference. They're not just referenced, yeah. Yeah, I mean, they the, they go into secret techniques and, like, I'm learning shit about games watching this. Yeah, I mean, it, it tells you how to fight with guile in, a, in the cheapest way possible. Um, it tells you about things like alchemy in Final Fight, um, different methods of, of getting the most out of the game. Um, clearly made by people who not just know their stuff, but adore their stuff when it comes to video games. Uh, and it's, it, plot-wise, it's essentially about a, a boy who obsesses with games um, in a culture at a time period where it was considered practically delinquent behaviour to just hang out in a video game arcade. Um, you know, considered a, a, a loser, a waster, spending all his time thinking about and playing games. Um, but it is his little haven, his, his escape route, and he considers the sanctity of that haven um, besmirched when a girl from his school is also found at the arcade and is dominating at Street Fighter. Um, and, you know, she's the best player he's ever seen, and the the show frames itself loosely around that concept of this girl and whether or not she's intruding on this boy's territory. But it very quickly opens up from that into a very charming story, um, a love story, basically, uh, and one that talks about... it. Certainly the message I took from it is that it's a lot more enjoyable and you become a lot happier if you're sharing the things you love rather than keeping them to yourself. That seems to be the... That was my takeaway from it, was because it doesn't spend too long even on the boy disliking the girl for playing games. Um, his insecurity about it becomes a regular thing. But despite what his internal monologue says about what an encroachment this is to see her, his actions repeatedly um, show that he can't contain himself, that he can't stop himself wanting to share video games with people, and, and it routinely shows that he's at his happiest when he's doing that, rather than trying to gatekeep and, and keep the games to himself. Um, but that was my read on the series overall, and, and I found it consequently very, very charming, um, very adorable even, uh, just, a, just an enjoyable watch. What about you, Conrad? I mean, I'm I'm in much the same boat. I think uh, this, I, I think it's really interesting the way uh, almost immediately it it turns from uh, him being upset towards the presence of Akira at the arcade towards a, a sense of respect for her as a competitor, and and his his anger at her existence drives him to want to be better at the only thing he's ever felt he's good at. And so I think that that's kind of interesting that he's not, like, not really... He's occasionally an asshole, sure. And he does... He is incredibly self-centered. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the core of his assholishness is it's often an oblivious self-centeredness. Right. And and I can... that I think that that's very relatable uh, you know, when I think back to who I was as a teenager, you know, and uh, and Haru and I would be, I think, the same age, if I'm 
thinking, if I'm doing the math right, that yeah, that's about right. Like, within a year or two. And I can totally relate to being the guy that was into video games and would have hung out at the arcade, did hang out at the arcades. And I didn't skip school to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't like an obsession of mine. But I... You know, I didn't have... I successfully pretended to be sick for two weeks to play Final Fantasy VII. (laughs) No, I did have my occasional day where I would take the day off claiming to be ill. That that happened, and that's something that, you know, that's that's the thing. You know, he does that at one point in the series to stay home and and play games uh, because he's not actually sick. Uh, And then, of course, there's the, the time that she, in an effort... It, it, as a means to get to play home console games, the quiet girl Akura uh, gets him sick by spraying water on him. <laughs> and I love that. Like, I, I love that, that she is as into this stuff as he is. And, and I, I think it's she, she's such a sad character. Because she's deprived of this thing that she so clearly loves by her home situation. And and her family's you know desire for her to be successful in this private tutor that she has that's just a nightmare. And like all of the characters in this are, for the most part, really interesting, and it's easy to feel compassion for them, even when they're in conflict. Yeah, it's also quite funny. It is quite. Funny. It's it's. Many of the jokes land. Um, Haru's horny mom. I, I really liked that. Just this ridiculously thirsty mom who's also just weird and, and constantly poking through the door. And uh, Like, she really wants her son to, to get his rocks off. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Like, it seems to be a preoccupation of hers is to get her son laid. Um... There's also the the teacher who bellows through a micro uh, a megaphone at the kids at pool class to splash about amiably, just ordering it, just splash about amiably. <laughs> um, just lots of weird humor in it, um, and and then it has a lot of you know anime, like very anime things, like the rec- the repeating joke about uh, him getting hit. By her old driver. Yes, lots of classic anime slapstick. She, uh, uh, Akira beats up Haruo all the time. Uh, I like that. I, I think it's interesting that she never speaks. Yeah. And and how effectively they still manage to communicate uh, what she's feeling through expression. And that's good. That's a really, that's really well executed. Yeah. Um, I also like how a lot of um, Haruo's self-important uh, quest to be better than than everyone else at Street Fighter is presented and narrated by a voice sometimes like a JoJo's Bizarre Adventure or Fist of the North Star or just one of those mm-hmm. martial arts animes um, except, you know, the hidden techniques that you see mentioned in those kinds of animes are instead video game techniques and exploits that are explained in the same way as some special move in JoJo might be described. Um, and, you know, he he has these 
almost dream sequences where Guile is acting as his old mentor, uh, teaching him how to be better at life and uh, challenges. Um, so there's a lot of a lot of parody in here, but it's not like super on the nose parody. There's there's quite a level of of subtlety to the to the things that that the high school girl is affectionately making fun of. Um, well, yes, that's it. It all seems to come from a place of love, both both for the medium of video games and anime. Yeah, yeah. It, it's uh, I I am not the target audience for comedy and anime. I mean, I was going to say nine times out of ten, but I feel like I should just stop the sentence there because <laughs> I'm just it. It does nothing for me uh, most of the time. But where it's present here, it doesn't feel oppressive either. No, uh, it, you know, it's it's not a constant deluge. Uh, there's and and it, the show gets pretty emotional at times and and it's affecting oh yeah there are there are sad scenes in this that actually did get me a bit that that i felt sad for the characters and their situations um and there are the points where you're just really pulling for for the characters to like just to understand each other yeah you know and and there are these moments where it seems like they're right on the edge of that like with uh them staying at the hotel overnight and and playing that game together and it just feels like they're on the edge of a breakthrough and the way it teases out that tension is just really great yeah i understand why people like romantic comedies now mm-hmm. i never cared for them myself yeah but once you're deep enough in this show that you're on the edge of your seat just saying tell them you love them right say it Say the words. <laughs> now I get why people like romantic comedies. It's you get that invested in it. You're just like, just say it. And they do a great job with the secondary characters too, for the most part. Especially Meow, who is the he, he's a he is the best best friend. Like he sees that his his friend has. Uh, feelings towards someone that he's interested in he takes the step back encourages tries to help get them together and then when it's clear that this other girl is carrying this torch an idiot here hasn't even figured out his emotions for the other girl he's like you know what you need to fix this like he is what just so supportive yeah i wish i'd had that i mean no don't get me wrong i had supportive friends growing up but man what a good guy. But everyone should have a friend like him. Yes. Yeah. Um, it, that speaks to another thing, I think, that makes this such a, such a good watch, is there's no cynicism here at all. None. There, there are, aren't even really many characters who are out-and-out assholes. Even like, the biggest antagonist is a rival boy who, you know, has the hots for um, the main girl. Um, I can never remember the names. Um, Akira Uno. Yeah. Akira Uno. Um, and Haru, I think, is the main character. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, 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 the closest to an antagonist is, is 
this handsome, charming character who considers themselves like a romantic, um, you know, a Lothario. He's a glimmer boy. And, and yeah, yeah, uh, typified by these little purple spangles that surround him at all times uh, to show how sparkly he is. And even he isn't that big of an arsehole. No. He's just, again, like the biggest crime most of these characters uh, commit is obliviousness. They're all just a bit dumb. Yeah. But they're also kids who are expected to be a bit dumb, um, at the very least. Uh, and, and so not only are some of the assholeish moments in this show not cynical and almost innocent, a lot of it's relatable. Um, even though it's a completely different culture, is Japan 1991 to the UK in 1991, where I grew up. Or the US in 1991, or the US. I grew up, yeah. There's still so much relatability about early video game culture, that excitement for things like Street Fighter II, The New Challenges. At one point in the show, uh, there's a point about that being brand new and excited these new street fighter characters and this running joke that we don't talk about street fighter three because we've all just given up that that's happening. Um, that, that joke that street fighter two just kept having more and more games, um, is part of the show. And it's all stuff that I can relate to and remember growing up. Oh, God. Yeah. When I was a kid, I think it was probably my freshman or sophomore year in high school. I remember that there was a comic strip that someone had pinned to a bulletin board in like one of the classrooms somewhere. And it was like it was done in the style of an editorial cartoon. It might have been from the school newspaper. I don't know. But it it was a Capcom executive uh, trying to count to three. <laughs> And it was Street Fighter, Street Fighter 2, Street Fighter 2 Championship Edition, Street Fighter, yon, 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 yon. Uh, it was very, very, yeah. And it it, it um speaks volumes about how cyclical it is now because many people will say that joke is about Valve these days. Sure. I've heard that joke. You know, Valve can't count to three. Um, everything, everything repeats. Yeah. Ain't nothing new under the sun. It's all a revolution. Um, so yeah, yeah, there's that, the, the excitement about video game magazines, um, that, that's part of this show and it's something I remember growing up. Um, it's a lot of the humor is observational humor, which I don't see often in certainly the anime I've watched. Um, normally the humor is more, more geared toward that slapstick stuff. Yeah. Uh, but this is very, very keenly observed, very nostalgic. But in a good way, not in a gratuitous way. Uh, there is gratuitous nostalgia in this, let's be fair. Oh, yeah, yeah, it is. Let's be fair. Um, but it's all charming in its gratuity. It it doesn't feel cynical, is the thing. It's not, oh, let's reference these 90s products for a cheap laugh. It's, no, no, let's get into the nitty-gritty of why these products are remembered. Yeah, nothing in here is, I think, done as a, like, a ploy to attract people in you know in the same way as you would see in a Wreck-It Ralph or a Ready Player One, where it's just like, oh, I recognize that thing, yeah, and move on. This is oh, you recognize here. Here's something new you didn't know about this thing that you recognize. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's not just show you Final Fight. Let's show it being played 
show techniques from it and use it as part of our character development as well. Yeah. Um, these games are part of character development. They're part of the exposition. Um, internal monologues play while the game's being played, which I'm sure we've all been in many situations before where we're playing a game, but our brain is thinking of a million different other things. Um, oh, and the and, and the characters, ex, you know, the, the characters express themselves through their gameplay. Yes, yes, that final fight scene in particular, um, where it uses the concept of um, friendly fire essentially in a beat 'em up. Um, that com- just how confusing playing some of those brawlers in co-op could be, where you could hit each other and get in each other's way. And they use that as a plot point, as, as a, a character expression. Uh, it's 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 incredible. It's it's really well done. <laughs> it's, it is kind. Of, it's it's really surprising to me how good <laughs> this is. I, and and apparently, you know, it is based on a manga, which I guess did well. Um, but that went on several years, and you know that is the sort of thing where I'd be worried about compressing it down into a short form like this. Uh, and I can't really draw a comparison, but the story here is really, really enjoyable. And I don't, I'm not even bothered by the fact that I don't feel that there's any proper resolution to it is the other thing. Like, Life's just going to go on for these characters, and it's not entirely clear where they're going to go. They understand each other a little bit better. And when, you know, we can talk a little bit about the the release of the series, because in the time between when we said we were going to do this and now when we're actually doing it, uh, the series was extended by three episodes. Um, Yeah. And... When it ended the first time and we would have talked about it, there was no clear, like, resolution. It it even ends on a note of we're about to do a thing. You know, that that teases more. It's very cliffhangery. And it could have stopped there and I would have been satisfied. Like, I'd have been fine with that because I sort of like that lost in translation, open-ended, you know... I, I don't I don't need satisfaction to enjoy something, I guess is what I'm getting at. But I do think it's funny that then they do an additional three episodes and I get no more satisfaction. <laughs> I'll be honest, the last three I still haven't watched. Oh, you haven't watched? Oh. I had a choice last night. Watch that or in my... In the, in my inebriated state, watch a long play of Little Big Adventure, and I watched Little Bit. And I'm sorry, listener, I watched Little Big Adventure. It's such a horrible game. Yeah, I'm just confused more than anything. And I didn't want to play it. I didn't want to play it, but I wanted to think about it. Uh, again, that's incomprehensible to me. <laughs> <laughs> So I put on a long play of Little Big Adventure. Wait, Little Big Adventure or Little Big Planet? Little Big Adventure. Oh, okay. I actually... Yeah, I know it's not a good game. The voice acting's so bad. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, to an... It's ex- some of the worst English people trying to do American accents <laughs> I've heard in ages. I forgot how awful it was. To an, to an extent, it is a product of its time. 
The sure as shit is, because ain't no modern game be as fiddly as that now. No, God, no. Where you've got to change character status in order to perform basic functions like talking or running or fighting. And you've got to keep pausing the game to change him into a different mode for it. Uh, yeah, I like the puzzle design. I just wish the interface wasn't such shit. Even watching a long play is frustrating. I bet. Because you're watching the character... The player having to readjust the character all of the time to aim things or move around things, and it's so stodgy and so slow. I couldn't make it through the whole thing. Well. And, you, and you'd have thought that after I'd done that, I'd have put on three episodes, because it's only three episodes of High School Girl. Yeah. I didn't. I started watching Zombie. <laughs> the the Lucio Fulgi? The, sh- the fucking, uh, yeah, that. Which I watched for about 15 minutes. And then I got bored of that. (laughs) And the evening went on like that. Watching bits of crap. (laughs) And forgetting to do high school cards. Well, I'll tell you you what. It's... it's, I will say there is a... uh, The last three episodes do feel a bit different. In the sense that all of a sudden we have new characters being introduced all of a sudden, which is kind of weird. Yeah. Um, there's a uh, Akira's sister appears. She has an older sister who's a bit of a rebel in the family. Uh-oh. Yeah. And she disregards the family's rules all the time and is kind of a free-spirited, uh, slightly pervy young woman uh there there are a couple of points in there where uh she's commiserating with akura about um something that that happens to her relating to the teacher and and she reflects on how she was denied a computer because the teacher thought she was going to be using it for pervy reasons uh which she denies and then admits and then later she's found by uh haruo at an arcade playing strip mahjong. Hmm. That's a little <laughs> it's a little strange. There's the other uh, classmate that does the uh that that wants to examine a, a a boy's erect penis on the uh Ferris wheel. Oh. When they all go to a festival. Oh. Or the amusement park. That was in the, oh, the okay. yeah, that was in the episodes that you watched. Had you forgotten I'm about that? I'm trying her? to remember. Oh god. Oh, fuck! <laughs> I completely forgot about that character. Yeah, there is some sexual assault in this. That character's worth an entire podcast discussion. <laughs> she only appears a few times, but damn, she thirsty. Terrifyingly thirsty. Terror thirsty. And, and yet, yet again, somewhat relatable. Because I did... No, a couple of girls like that growing up. Yeah, plus plus you're always looking at knobs on Ferris wheels. Well. You tried to look at mine. <laughs> well, you know. I tell you, I, I said I'd have, I'd have let you, but you had candy floss all over your fingers. <laughs> it's very sticky. Yeah, I don't want a pink sticky wingy. <laughs> But yeah, so uh, she pops up a few a few times, 
Um, but the the older sister gets interest, introduced, and she's another like sympathetic character that's supportive of Akira and just you know wants to try and break the pressure on her. Uh, and that's good. But the teacher becomes more engaged in the last three episodes too, and and starts alternately meddling more in. Or she's being shown meddling in more overt ways, and. Uh, but it's really, again, really sweet, all of it in the end. And the mom, oh, I'm I'm so bummed you haven't seen the last three episodes because the mom is suddenly a badass. Like, yeah, I'm 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 definitely gonna watch him. Yeah, she she gets she does some really great stuff and is super thirsty still. Uh, of course, uh, you better be. Yeah, yeah, the way she's cheering her son off there at the end in the last shot you see of her. And he's walking off with Akira. Oh, that's a, a life fulfilled right there. It's it's pretty good. Yeah. Um, I do intend to watch him. I, I, I couldn't delay this podcast again. No, no. Trust me, for many reasons I want to. You can hear one of the reasons I want to in my voice. But uh, if, if, we, if I'd have put it off another day, I'd have gotten another round of is the spin-off Doctors over? Yep. I'm not having that. So how do we want to talk about this? Because this is new for us, um, doing a, a, a long-form thing like this. Um, you say you've done some notes on each episode. I have done some notes on each episode. It's not, it's not to the extent that I, I normally would. Um, yeah. Uh, but we can like go over just like what happens briefly in each of the episodes, I think, and, and yeah. sort of cover the series that way. Um. It starts in 1991, uh, and that's like the historical accuracy of this is something that I I really appreciate and love too. Is that they they love this culture so much that they want to make sure it's reflected. Yeah, and um, so Haruo is uh, he's a sixth grade student, uh, and his self worth's basically entirely derived from his skill and love of video games. Uh, and he plays Guile in Street Fighter 2. That's his main. And uh, and that's fun as the series progresses and Guile becomes less a part of Street Fighter. Yeah. Uh, but but he, he sticks with them and I appreciate that. Uh, so he, he skipped school and he runs into this uh, girl at this arcade where he's been gaining a reputation, Akira. And she utterly demolishes him. For a 29-game win streak as Zangief. Which is, if you've, I mean, I can't do Zangief's moves. Any of them. Yeah. Uh, and that also is is brought up to great comic effect in the in the show. Is the disbelief at using Zangief to right. pull this off. Yeah. Because nobody does that. And that's just, that's so emblematic of what other level this person is operating on. Um, and, but he, uh, he, he, he throw janks, does a, does a, does some cheap shots, winds up winning and, uh, and she punches him, which I love. Yeah. There's a little bit of cultural dissonance here where physical abuse is portrayed as charming and sometimes romantic here throughout the show. 
Um, and and well, but there's a lot which takes some adjusting. To. There's a lot of physical violence in it too. It seems to be a part of the culture. It's not just happening to our main character or you know, uh, with our main character, but fights break out in the arcades pretty frequently. It seems. Oh yeah, one of my favorites. One of my favorite scenes in the whole show is the narrator describing what a gamer fight looks like. <laughs> As two two guys trying to pull the other one to the ground and it just devolves into them weakly slapping each other on the floor <laughs> just weakly wrestling on the floor and it's the most understated looking thing and it's fantastic it's and i've seen it yeah <laughs> uh not a single punch thrown just yanking and pulling and so what we're we're sort of told through uh, what follows in, in this first episode is that these two characters are also sort of polar opposites in society. Uh, she is very smart, very uh, driven, is getting a fantastic, is getting fantastic grades, comes from a wealthy family, has this sort of well-groomed upper class life. And meanwhile, here's, Here's our main character, Haruo, knowing that in secret she has this private life of being the greatest Street Fighter player in town. Uh, and that, so that's, and then, and then she further humiliates him. She beats Street Fighter 2 with Dalsim with only light kicks. I love how they just keep playing out throughout this. Just, she's nuts. Yeah. And you can't imagine where she'd find the time to do it. Like, but she knows everything about it. And I, it's, uh, she's delightful. Um, but that's so, and then they get to know each other a little better, uh, by the end of the episode because they're in this, uh, uh, rainstorm. They get caught in a rainstorm and they're both in this candy shop. Uh, Haruo calls her into it because there's arcade machines there. It's where he goes when it's raining, which is interesting. I mean, I guess I've done that too. Stopped in at a 7-Eleven and played a couple of rounds of Street Fighter until the rain stopped. Mm -hmm. But um, And they do co-op together for the first time, and he gains a different sort of respect for her um, and apologizes for screwing up her game because he's she's using alchemy to score more points. Uh, and, and, you know, apologizes with these lollipops and it's very cute. And it's like, they, they sort of have an understanding at this point, I guess. There's an uneasy respect for sure. There is, there is. And then, so this takes us to the second episode where, uh, she basically gets him sick so that she can find out about the TurboGrafx-16 that he's been talking about <laughs> at school. It comes to his house under the guise of delivering his homework. Yeah. Uh, so that, that, that they can, because they are separated while trying to talk publicly in the school, which is interesting too. Like society at large, it's demonstrated here, doesn't think that the two of these people should be having shared interests. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's a kind of an interesting scene in the pool where the, the shimmer boy sort of breaks up the two of them as they're about to talk about video games because obviously she wouldn't be interested in that because she's a refined member of society. Yeah. Um, 
that's that's interesting. That's an interesting dynamic that they've got going on there. And so she comes over. They they bond over his library of cheap games, and then uh, he can't stand watching just sitting back and watching someone else play. And tries to take the controller from her just in time for his mom <laughs> to come home and see it and perform a pile driver on him. <laughs> I mean, because anime, like, this is one of the first... Yeah. He gets hit by the driver's car, I think, in the previous episode, and that's the first real anime slapstick thing. Uh, this is maybe the second big one, but I laughed. Like, this one worked for me. The mom's great. Yeah. And then uh, in the second half of this episode, they attempt to find a 10-yen arcade together. Uh, Akira and Haruo to avoid having to go home uh, to deal with their respective home problems. And it turns out to be filled with these old machines and then it turns out to be a ghost arcade. Yeah, like, I thought this was going to be the kickoff to the actual plot, like there was going to be some, you know, fantasy elements and shit to this. Yeah. But it turns out this it comes out of nowhere. It turns out they were in a haunted ghost arcade, and then it just doesn't come up again. No, there there are some there are some strange spiritual elements operating throughout the series, and at first it it feels like it's just Haruo's imagination. You know him him imagining that the gaming gods are giving him strength and you know and supporting him along his quest to be the best he can be in video games. Yeah, and and uh, this is where you should have watched the last three episodes. Oh well, there you go. Because at one point, Guile actually intervenes on Haruo's behalf and stops him from uh, missing a an opportunity to cross paths with uh, Ono. Uh, it's really cute. but So, yeah, there is sort of a strange spiritual undercurrent that runs through the, the series that, uh, that the love of gaming is bringing these people together through some power beyond their ken, I guess. And I, I, that's, it's fun. It's cute. Um, but he offers to start taking her out to, to arcades over summer break uh, to give her, you know, a rest from her constant struggle with having her private tutor and whatnot. And so then in the third episode, they go to a botanical garden because the shimmer boy wants to horn in on Akira. Um, and then Haruro hijacks the group by suggesting they go to this amusement park that's right next door. And then he bails on the Ferris wheel, which is the one ride they're all going to get on because this is where the, the, the girl who wants to look at a dong, uh, he gets paired up with her. And when he finds out that she's going to grab his penis, he just bolts. Good on him. Good on him. And turns out Akira's also disappeared from the group and they're both in the arcade. So they play games. They get left behind by the group. They do some rides and they have this sort of kind of almost date. Uh, but it, neither of them probably would feel like that's what it was. It feels like, it feels like they're just doing something together. Yeah. I think again, it speaks to the, that theme of obliviousness. Yeah. They are basically on a date, but 
they they don't perceive it as such. And they well they and maybe they don't really understand what that means at this point or what the context of that is. But it's it's there's an innocence to it that I find very interesting. Yeah. Um and the next day it's it's learned that she's going to be moving abroad to Los Angeles. And everybody in the the class that they share uh gives her the, gives her a gift of some kind uh except for Haruo who just instead suggests that he's glad to be rid of her. And you know, now she's no longer be going to be darkening his arcade. Um and goes and uses the money that his mother gave him to to buy her a gift to go play video games. And this is like the worst thing I think he does in the entire show. Yeah. And to his credit, like he comes around, like he realizes that he's going to miss her, that he is punishing her for something that really isn't her fault, you know, that that she's going to leave. Yeah. And he's going to miss her. And so he goes to the airport and they, you know, and it's that big dramatic, like, don't go sort of scene, don't leave yet scene uh, that you see countless of to- countless times before. It's weirder because they're like 12 years old. It's a bit strange. Yeah. But gives her this plastic ring that he'd won in a crane game while they were out together at some point that he was saving to give to his mother. And it's so sweet. Yeah. And then, because anime, she claws at his face when she's dragged away to leave. And it's a big feel. Like, there's big feels there, I feel. I liked that. Um, And then jumps ahead, like, two years to 1993, and he's now in junior high. And hasn't changed. But this is our introduction to the other character that is situated in our love triangle, um, Koharu. And she is a lot like Akira in that she's studious. She, you know, she's respected and hardworking and, and all of these things. But she just has a very different home life with a supportive family that wants her to play video games because her dad's into it. Yeah. And they get sort of uh, hooked up when they're both caught in a storm together and it sort of mirrors him getting to know Akira in that same candy shop, both playing Street Fighter, and she picks Zangief because he looks strong. And she has this preternatural talent for playing the game, and it's... yeah. I like that because um, that's a running thing with the, with this character is she's asked several times what informs her choices of characters because she doesn't pick the optimal ones or the expected ones. And I'm someone who, you know, I'm someone who fucking plays Pokemon with an Ekans in my party. Sure. I, I pick things based on what visually they look like and whether they look cool or fun or cute or whatever. And that seems to be how she picks things. It's like, I like the look of this character. I don't care, you know, whether they're, what tier they're in. Because with her, she's preternaturally good at games, but doesn't know them. Right. Um, She's got um, the other character's skills, but not the love there. 
Um, so that makes her interesting. But I do love that because I get questioned like that. Why did you pick that character? Because I have fun with it. Right. And the idea of the game is for me to be entertained. Um, so I, I I get bored watching like Ryu get played in a Street Fighter game because Ryu to me is just a very bog standard character. Um, so I like, like, that's where I got some relatability from it was people being puzzled by her choices because she just goes with her gut and what looks appealing, what looks fun to her. Yeah, but the the thing I find interesting about it is that her motivation for playing is never about fun. Fun for her in almost all the circumstances is watching Haruo play. That's when she seems to enjoy games the most throughout the series. Even when she does find satisfaction and enjoyment out of competing, her preference would be to not do that at all. Yeah. Well, I mean, that that also is something I find relatable because when I was growing up, I would often watch my brother play games, certain ones, Mm -hmm. um, because he was better at certain games than me, certainly fighting games, which I've never been able to really play. Um, So I get that as well from her. So I find her a very relatable character because she ain't picking characters because she knows anything about whether they're good or not. She just picks what looks appealing. And she gets a lot of fun just in that passive role of of watching these intricate fighting games get played. Um, So I like her as a character a lot. I do too. uh, When it comes to her relationship with games. Yeah, I... God, I wish she'd just figure out... <laughs> I wish she'd just give up on, on uh, Haruo, though. That's that's my problem. It's like she has yeah. so much to give <laughs> to someone who would appreciate her. Well, yeah, I mean, I find she also represents some parts of anime storytelling that I, I'm not into. Yeah. Um, that kind of character who becomes that slavishly obsessed to the point of their own personality erodes somewhat because they become defined by, I just, I'm just all about this other character. Um, and I find that a bit too, um, close to cliche for my liking, uh, that aspect of her. Yeah. But they, uh, they start to have this connection um, really uh, with a, a Christmas party that they were both going to attend, but they don't wind up going to it because her dad shows up with a Super Street Fighter 2 New Challengers arcade board, and so Haruo stays to watch it be installed and play it. Uh, and it, I mean, it's a great, perfect crystallization of where his priorities are and where her priorities are because she... Is you know she was going to go to the party on her own, but now that she's given a choice between spending time with him or going to the party, she chooses that regardless of what it is that she'd be doing. Um, I like that. Uh, at least narratively, I'm just bummed by her <laughs> liking him. Hmm. Uh, but another thing it's, I find interesting in this episode is that at one point he's playing and he gets distracted by a question that she asks. And he loses in that moment, and he's totally cool with it. And I thought, that's fucking great. I'm really glad that that happened. I, I, that gives me a lot of respect for him as a character to be able to just do that. 
So it really pissed me off in the subsequent episode where he blames her for talking while he was playing as the reason he lost. Mm. Made me sad. Um, But that happens as they play Mortal Kombat at the start of episode five. Uh, And she's a button masher, but it works. And and it, and again, he's reminded of Akka, and uh, and and then he you know he this is an episode where he really demonstrates like what an asshole he can be when he gets competitive. He gets into a a, a match of samurai showdown against a very clearly frustrated, angry guy, and he does everything he can to humiliate him through play. Yeah, and that's gross. Not into that. Yeah, and and I mean. The show does not laud what he does. No, that's the thing. That's the the important thing is is he is being an asshole, and the show isn't saying he's not. Uh, and I like that because they do they go to great lengths to show that this is a he's an asshole kid. Yeah, he's a good kid, but he's also an asshole kid. And that's the thing I can identify with so more much more than anything else about this show. Is that I? I get that. I remember that. I remember being an asshole kid. I don't think I was ever a bad kid. Yeah, yeah. Like like many kids, they're fundamentally good, but because they're kids and impulsive and impetuous, you give them a chance to stick the boots in. Many kids take that opportunity. Yeah, and and I, you know, feel better now. <laughs> but. It, it's a thing and and I'm glad that I'm glad that at no point does this show give the impression that that should be acceptable no because again I think the the overall message is that he is an ultimately much happier kid when he's not doing that right when he's not tying his identity to being better than other people so then he starts playing at uh, Koharu's family's shop. Uh, where they have the arcade machine set up outside, and he's even playing in the snow because there will be less people there, and he can play constantly. Like, he's just <laughs> that invested. Uh, and then on Valentine's Day, he winds up staying home from school because he's sick or not. I'm not sure, actually. But uh, But then she shows up to give him chocolate. As, you know, a Valentine's tradition thing. Um, and the mom's just all pervy. Mm. Yeah. So Can't contain herself. It's so good. And then he forces her to play China Warrior. And this is the point at which uh, she sort of figures out that he just does not have a clue whatsoever. That there is anything between them other than this mutual appreciation for video games. That she doesn't even, she didn't really even have. And is only become interested in because of him. Yeah. And this is the first point at which I'm like, oh, you poor dear. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, and yet. Um, it is it is the tragedy. Yeah. It's amazingly frustrating viewing, but by design, like successfully frustrating. Yes. Satisfyingly frustrating. Um. And Haruo, meanwhile, in all of this, is reminded of his quest to continue training to be def- to defeat Akira if he ever meets her again. 
Uh, and that works out well because she's back by the end of episode five. Um, see, wow, we're blowing through this. We're halfway through this show already. Uh, so at, at the arcades, uh, Haru keeps playing Super Street Fighter 2 and, and Karo's deal, you know, thinking about, like, they both have their motivations for getting better. They're both doing the same thing of training to impress someone else. It, and yeah. yeah, I love that parallel that they have going on. Um, and, and of course, perpetually frustrated by Kaoru's obliviousness to it. Um, and then uh, as Ka- uh, as Kaoru is playing for Haru, or Kaoru, God damn it, the names. As blonde girl play for game guy while game guy go <laughs> pee. Akura uh, walks in, selects Akuma, at this point a secret character, but mm-hmm. because Super Street Fighter 2 came out in the U.S. a few months prior to its release at Japanese arcades, the rumor of how to unlock Akuma had already spread around, and that the historical thing is great. Yeah, it's... It's really cleverly done. Like, tying in her time in Los Angeles for two years to the release of this gay being there in that region. It's Yeah. And and portrayed with all the drama of a Dragon Ball Z character revealing their secret move or hidden form. Yeah. Oh. Really great writing. Uh, very, very impressive. Yeah. Um... And when he hears from uh, Kaharu that she's been defeated by this secret character, he runs outside to f- see if he can find the person who used it and gets hit by uh, Akira's driver again Yeah, because anime. But he's so familiar with being hit by that car, that's how he knows she is back. Right. <laughs> Although he does find out the next day at school it's confirmed for him. Uh, yeah, that, that, but that certainly that's where he gets his inkling that that's what it is. Cause he, so familiar. He claims he recognizes the feeling of getting hit by that same <laughs> And he he goes looking for her and finds her in that first arcade that they'd played in. But when he goes to play her, she gets up and leaves and, like, isn't ready to face him or, or what. And, and, and then they're forced together because he accidentally starts multiplayer on her final fight machine. And this is where she starts deliberately attacking him in game to make it harder on him. Mm-hmm. And it's just a great sequence uh, with him coming to the realization that that she's expressing herself in this way. Um, and then that she is uh, angry with him. And he's heartbroken by this rejection. And that's it's really sad. Yeah. Because all he wants is to compete with her. And he doesn't understand their relationship. And I really feel for him at this point. He's an idiot. <laughs> but I've, I've kind of been that idiot to some extent. I, nobody's ever gone to a great effort to attract me, I don't think. But I'm so bad about it that I have found out years later about this shit and been like, oh, I'd, yeah, I'd, I'd have gone there. Oh, my 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 history has is littered with missed opportunities. Yeah, if only I'd known. Uh, 
so by episode seven, Kaoru is so desperate to get Haruo to spend time with her that she buys a, a Super Nintendo in Final Fight. And uh, uh, he does, at this point, find out that Akura is the Akuba player and watches a guy get like, shut down asking her for a date um, and is asked to evaluate their relationship and says just a very tactless thing about how she's a thorn in his side, uh, which pisses her off, as it should. So that's a dick move. Um, and then the the class takes this trip to uh, Kyoto. And this is an interesting bit of, uh, of sequence, because Haruo and the uh, very thirsty Kaoru are, are left behind at this train stop, and they wind up walking to uh, most of the way to Kyoto, last, past Lake Biwa, and stopping at a couple arcades. And Kahuru, now, here, this is another example of them, of two characters, being on what, for all intents and purposes, could be considered a date. Only this time here we get to switch it up, because Kahuru actually gets it. Like, she's self-aware, because she's looking for that relationship. And Haru remains completely ignorant of it still and that's a good good bit of uh good bit of story uh writing in there and then he goes to the hotel uh once they get back and caught up with the group and he runs into akura and he tells her all about the day and she gets seemingly jealous of him spending time with this other girl but he doesn't get that either like he's just so lost in all of this hmm um then the trip carries on. Like, we're already in episode eight uh, because this trip spans, like, two, three episodes. Um, and Meow, this is Haruo's best friend. This is where he's he expresses that he has an interest in Akira himself. Um, but he doesn't know. He asks Haruo for advice, and Haruo really doesn't have any idea. You know? And... Isn't it really doesn't really care because he just wants to go play Street Fighter at a tournament out of town. Yeah, and but Meow, who is the best friend, again everybody. If you know what, if you don't have a guy like this or gal or someone in your life who's this supportive and like observant about you, find that because shit, like he instantly catches on that. Uh, this other girl, Kaoru, Kaoru, has a crush on on uh, on um, Haruo, and he's like on it, and he's there to be supportive, like to help him figure that out, not to force the relationship together. He recognizes it's an unfortunate situation for her, but he just wants everybody to come out of this okay. <laughs> I love him. Yeah. He's number one in this. Um, Howard does go to this Street Fighter tournament and discovers that Akira has also slipped away from the school trip to do this and sees it as the opportunity to finally have that face-off that they were previously denied. And they both make it to the finals and Haruo wins, but it turns out that none of the punch buttons were working on her... Uh, arcade panel 
on her arcade machine because the guy before her had gotten his ass kicked and slammed on the machine and broke the buttons. So he didn't really win because she was so severely handicapped. Yeah. Again, great writing. Yeah. Really good fucking... Yeah, just just excellently put together story. It's just well-constructed drama because, again, for him, it's all about him being denied the fair fight that he wants and, you know, to be able to say that he beat her. It's all that really matters to him. And and that he can't get satisfaction uh, in this way is, is just... I love that that's his response to this. I mean, it's the wrong response... But great character writing. Um, yeah. They uh, wind up getting into a fight, having a brawl, covered in mud. And uh, in this confrontation, it's revealed that he had missed having her in his life in this way. And he discovers that she has still been wearing this plastic ring that he gave her years ago around her neck. Uh, and it's so cute. Yeah. Um, and, and when they get back to the hotel, his best guy, Meow, sees them together and is like, oh, okay, I get it now. This is totally cool. I'm going to help make this happen. He's the best. By episode nine, uh, the, they've set up this, they set up this arrangement where Haruo gets to, during this summer, um, Give her a break from her studies, chaperone her around, chaperone her around arcades and, and so forth. And uh, this is the last opportunity that they're about to go to high school. And, and it's like high school in the United States is a very like different thing, certainly than lower grades. Yes. But over there, like your whole future is determined by what high school you go to. Yeah. Um, it is just a, a huge part of that academic system. And so they're all, all of these characters are now at a turning point in their lives. Uh, that's significant. And uh, it's, it's interesting because now in this next little episode arc, or well, it's in this episode, they, he, he has realized that he's going to be separated from Akira because she's absolutely going to get into this good school that she's studying for. And, uh, but it's interesting that I guess the thing I find so fascinating about this character and 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 how it's written is that his concern as expressed isn't that he's going to miss her. He is going to miss her. And, and I think that that's known, but it's more out of a concern for her not being able to have somebody to fill the role that he provides of being a friend. Yeah. And that's that's an interesting spin on this ignorance that he has towards what their relationship is or how their relationship may be seen by, say, the other person in the relationship or people outside of it. Um, so he decides to actually study and, and make an effort to get into that school. And, and it's interesting to see him apply his dedication as as seriously towards his studies. He, and he fails. And I love that, too. Yeah. And I love the way it's expressed that he fails. 
the the closing credits of the episode. And I I often skip the closing credits, and this is a mistake. Um, there are actually like occasionally bits of plot that they throw in in post credits. It's um yeah, you see that in a few animes where there's. And it, it can be frustrating because end credit sequence in animes can be so long. Well, this one is you know, typically uh, five minutes. Yeah. Because they have a full-length song in them. And then every episode has one of those. The main character talks over an image about where they are in their lives right now yeah. gimmick. Um, but then sometimes in addition to that, there will actually be a little snippet of additional content. And um, yeah. I missed most of them. So I'm sure there are a few gaps uh, in in what I've watched, but uh, but the way that they handle it here uh, is that you watch the credits and it is showing him taking the test during the credits, and you show his student number taking the test, and then it shows the board listing who passed and it just pans past the numbers, and you see her number on there, and his is skipped over. And it's just great. Um, I really like, really like. This is just a well-crafted thing. That's mm-hmm. that's the thing I can't express enough. Um, I am not a big anime fan. Uh, I, there is some stuff that I think is really, really great in that medium, and this is this is one of them. Uh, I think this is really good. Uh, so we got episode ten. And now they're in high school, and Kaoru has all the boys coming to her yard. Uh, but she's still into Haruo. It just makes me so bummed. <laughs> uh, and she's visiting him at home. They're not even in the same school anymore. Uh, he's got a part-time job assembling bento boxes. Uh to fund his arcade going and and to bring in money for the household. And he's a he's a good kid. Um but she convinces him to start going out to the arcades because he'd been avoiding them, not wanting to run into Akira there. And uh and she became a player while he wasn't paying attention. But and it it sparks that competitive and now she now he sees her like for the first time but again, he doesn't see her as the emotional thing that she wants him to see her as. Yeah. And she thinks that she's going to be fine with just this. Or she thinks that it's going to go from this to the thing that she wants. And it's never going to happen. <laughs> and it's very tragic and well-timed t- well out and... um. But he he gets beaten by her, and he realizes that he's lost his edge. And he starts training in earnest again. And But she's just, she's just better than he is now. And as he's running home in defeat, he runs into Akira, and they spend some time together in the arcade. And Kaoru, not him, oh, sorry, not Haru, Kaoru runs into Akira at the arcade, and they sort of get to know each other. They play uh, a shooting game together. This is a pretty good seed, too, because, again, it's it's Akira expressing herself through gameplay. And her every time he gets mentioned, she has doubts and starts missing shots. And 
And meanwhile, she's you know learning that she's her presence, her very presence has now uh, caused him to have an inferiority complex because he couldn't get into the school. Yeah. And it's. There's a lot. It's heavy, but it's heavy the whole time, but it still feels light. It still feels breezy. I'm so invested by this point. Uh, anyway, so he, he, she gets told that she's Akira uh, is, is at home and the tutor starts bringing the hammer down. She's no longer to go out to the arcades just at the time that Haburo has regained his confidence uh, and has learned some patience from CD load times. On the Neo Geo. Oh, yeah, that was a great little scene. Great joke. Uh, but Koharu won't give him satisfaction. Uh, she wants to remain the champion and have the upper hand in this relationship for a little while. I like that as well. I like that too. Withholding the the championship rematch. Mm-hmm. And as time passes and, and Akira continues to be absent from the, the arcades, uh, eventually the driver, her driver, shows up at Haruo's house looking for her, uh, that she's, she's run away. Uh, she's had too much of the strict discipline, and she's just gone. And so Haruo goes on this quest, trying to think, okay, where would I go? Where would she go? And this is the first time I think he really starts, like he's thinking about them as the same person, but he's starting to think from her perspective and the places that she'd go. Yeah. And, and like, it marks a change in his character. And, and, and it, he doesn't get all the way in this moment. It's the turning point. Yeah. And, uh, and he's constantly fighting the distraction to play all of these games in these places that he's going to looking for her. Because that's, that's the, the, the conflict within him. And just as he's about to give up, the characters from his games, you know, in, in another instance uh, of the gamer gods sort of sh- pushing him in the right direction, uh, winds up in an arcade where she's on a 70-game win streak at Vampire Hunters. <laughs> and, uh, and this time, he manages to sit down and get beaten by her. And then just tells her to they'll take her home and it's really uh it's something i don't even know how to feel about it it's like in the moment these characters both yeah uh accept something it feels like or or just know that they need to be together and that's um yeah it's pretty great for the last episode of the uh, initial run, yeah, uh, stuck in Kawasaki for the night because Akira still refuses to go home, Haruo calls his mother and she arranges a hotel room for them. And it's this awkward domesticity thing where they take turns taking baths and they watch television and and there's uh, it's the TVs. <laughs> So sticky. The advertise. There's this advertisement for red bean uh, pastries uh, or buns, uh, and they keep watching it over and over again. And then he remembers he's got, he bought a, a Famicom while he was out looking for her, and they play Dayun Dokai, which is the sports meet game with the Technos characters that fight each other, and, until he falls asleep playing it, and she covers him 
with a blanket. And then when he wakes in the morning, she is sleeping upside down in her bed just the way he was. And it's just very sweet. Yeah. And he has responsibilities. So he, he goes to work and comes back at noon when he's done with his shift and, and she's still there and they he takes her home and they stop to uh, take a strip of pictures in a photo booth um, of her headbutting him. <laughs> and as, uh, as Koharu starts reflecting on the last like year and a half of trying to become Haru's equal and earn his attention and, and basically get him to love her, uh, she sort of determines finally that it, it never would have worked because he has this focus on Akira. And she's, she expresses being grateful for having been introduced to competitive arcade play, and she still feels drawn to him. She's still unwilling to give up. And it's so kind of uncomfortable that she has this self-awareness about what she's doing, but still feels that, like compelled to follow this course out. And so she visits him uh, on the night of a fireworks festival to lend Haruo her PlayStation. And she's watching as he plays, and it's back, right back to where they were at the beginning of the relationship. She's doing the thing with him that she really wants to do. Um, and in the end, he offers to loan his Saturn to her. And while he's retrieving it, she sees the photos of, of Haruro and Akira from the photo booth. And her heart breaks. Yeah. And it's, it's, at, it's at that point where, you know, she just delivers the ultimatum that, you know, now I'm going to give you your opportunity to, to win against me. And if you do, I'm, I'll drop this whole unrequited love thing that I have for you and if I win we have to go on a date and it is so shitty <laughs> and that's that, like that's how it ended and yeah I I like it so I got these three to watch and you you more you more or less described those before the other ones to a bit to a bit I, I've, I've talked about a few things that happened in them and, and I don't want to go in because I think you should watch them I don't want to like totally ruin it but yeah no, I definitely want to, yeah. Like I said before, I, I actually I would have been very happy if this is, had, had been how it ended. Um, and, and I'm still very happy with what they did. I don't think it, it doesn't, I don't feel like it gives me any more resolution in the end. But maybe when we, by the time we do our next episode, you'll have seen it. We can talk briefly about it, you know, get thoughts on it. But um, yeah. I do think that this is something people should watch. Um, and it's very worth it. It's It's charming. Adorable, funny, yes, heartfelt, very sincere show, and and the characters uh, for the most part are great. The few characters that I don't think are great don't factor in enough into the to story into the story to matter. Yeah, yeah. The worst characters are barely there, um, but it's it, the music's good too. Their use of music in it is excellent, mm -hmm. um, and the and in the various uh, forms they'll. They, they use is is that the Street Fighter theme that they're using throughout? It feels like it. Da, 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 yeah, da, da, da. yeah, yeah. They remix it in several different ways for many different purposes throughout the show, and it's always really effective when they do it. Um, yeah, and I mean, at the most basic level, there is still just a ton of great nostalgia in there. Yeah, 
It doesn't rely on it, which is the key difference, but there's still loads there if you want it. Good nostalgia. It's, it's well-portrayed nostalgia that doesn't feel cheap or lazy. And that's the key distinction, I think, between this and a lot of other films and so forth that draw from this well. Um, this show loves that stuff, and it wants you to know that it loves it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, yeah, watch it. Really, 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 really good show. Yeah. And I think I think that there are going to be people who are surprised to hear us say that. Maybe. Maybe, yeah. Uh, I mean, it's... And I can see a point of view of not liking this main character enough to not like this show. Uh, it it could be very easy to view him as obnoxious. Yes. Rather than endearing in any way. And I don't think that would be incorrect for people to feel that way. That's a perfectly acceptable read. He is obnoxious at many points in this show. But... But I personally find him... The, the obliviousness... Toward his own obnoxiousness, I find endearing, personally. The rare times that I feel he causes harm, I think that if... He's a character that if presented with the other perspective, he'd seen it from outside, he'd realize he was wrong. Yeah. That's generally how it seems to go for him. And so I can respect that because it kind of gives me hope for everybody who's a bit of an asshole when they're young, much like I was, that they'll grow out of some of that shit. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Uh, what are we going to do next time, Jim? Bandersnatch! Woof. Figured we will, uh, we'll give, we'll give the interactive fiction or whatever it is people are calling it. We'll give it a go. I've, um, I've gone through Bandersnatch. I've gone through pretty much all of it before when it first came out. Um, I'm a fan of Black Mirror overall. Um, a big fan of, of Charlie Brooker's work. Um, a lot of his stuff outside of Black Mirror. Uh, and because Bandersnatch... And it's not the only Black Mirror thing that is game-themed. And maybe at some point we'll do other spin-off Doctors on those those episodes as well. But Bandersnatch being not just game-themed, but structured in an interactive way should make for an interesting podcast. So... Yeah, I think... Uh... I think it'll be uh, something to talk. I mean, I have thoughts. I I've yeah. seen relatively little of Bandersnatch, despite having uh, viewed a a good chunk, uh, and so I'll 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 give it another go. It uh, yeah yeah I'll have things to say. I think it'll be an interesting conversation. Yeah. So also on Netflix, of course, um, is Black Mirror Bandersnatch which we will talk about next time. And I'm going to go away now and not talk and rest up. So thank you all for listening. Um, We will aim for around about two weeks from this, but these days I'm not sticking to a structure with spinoff doctors. Yeah. Um, But it's not going away. We're we're not going to stop doing it. Yeah. It's not going away. No, no, we we've, we've got to do at the very least, this show will go on. Until we do an episode on Doom Annihilation, which is a movie I'm looking forward to more than any other film in the world. Not for good reasons. No, the best But reasons. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll see you next time for Black Mirror Bandersnatch. Thank you all for listening and goodbye. Bye.